you're following along in our Bible reading plan, you know that we just finished the book of Revelation and started the book of Matthew, which is where we're going to end uh, this year's Bible reading plan. But as I was reading through that uh, two or three weeks ago, I was thinking about a Thanksgiving message, and uh, I am going to preach a Thanksgiving message from the book of Revelation. I'm going to turn your attention to Revelation 11:17, and this is uh, depending on the, the version, and I think I'm getting ready to read something that is different than what's on the screen, uh, but that would be my fault, so we're going to read this anyway. It says this, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. So I'm going to preach just for a little bit from this thought, we give thanks. We give thanks. Thanksgiving is one of my most favorite times of the year. It is one of my favorite times of the year because I like fall. Fall is, is one of my favorite seasons. It's one of my four favorite seasons. Uh, probably it's in my top two, of course. Fall and spring are my favorite seasons of the year. But I like fall. And, and one of the, the things that I like most about Thanksgiving are really, it's, it's an opportunity to get together with family. In fact, uh, in most years, it is the only time that my family, my, my siblings and my parents, we all get together one time a year, and it's always at Thanksgiving. This year, unfortunately, it doesn't look like my sister and her family will be able to make it, as I mentioned, because of COVID. But, but it's about family. It's getting together and all of us being together again. It's also about food. I don't know if you are a big fan of Thanksgiving food. I like Thanksgiving food, and my favorite way to eat turkey is to have a deep-fried Cajun turkey. If you're not familiar with that, uh, you are missing out. Uh, it, it might be one of the, if, if there is a fowl in heaven, it will be the deep-fried Cajun turkey. And, and if, you're, if you're hungry, I'll just tell you what you do is you inject all these great seasonings into the, to the meat, and then you drop it in a deep fryer, and it seals all that seasoning and all the juiciness in. And it's like the best way to eat turkey. Just trust me on that. But in addition to that, because we were raised in Louisiana, we always cook some additional Cajun food. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's crawfish uh, jambalaya, and sometimes it's crawfish etouffee. And I want to start talking with an accent right now. This year, as I'm, as I'm told, we're actually making gumbo and jambalaya and etouffee. It's going to be a gluttonous feast and we will repent right after we do that for the sin of gluttony but we have a lot of fun and then there's also football to watch and if you're a football fan uh, it's just become part of the tradition but all of those things are great and all of those things are good but the reality is none of what I just told you is really about the reason why we have Thanksgiving originally Thanksgiving Day was about giving thanks to God, and it was about celebrating what God had done. And for those first people on that, that first Thanksgiving day when they celebrated here in, in North America, 
They were celebrating a harvest. They were celebrating that God had provided for them after a winter in which uh, most of their number had perished in the cold of the winter and they were starving to death. And then in the spring and, and the summer and the harvest was there. And so they celebrated and thanked God for what he had done. And unfortunately for, for me, I, I told you what I think about. I think about family and food and fun and, and football and, and just being together and having a great time. But really, it should all be about Jesus Christ and what he has done. It should be a, a celebration of thanksgiving for what God has done. And I will tell you that he is worthy to be thanked because he has done great things in our life. He has, he has done amazing things, and no matter how bad you think you have it here, if you look around the world, we're, we're in the top 10% of richest people in the world. Everybody in this room is wealthy compared to most places in the world. God has blessed us beyond measure, not because of our own doing, but just because he is good and he has been gracious to us. That first Thanksgiving, it was not really unlike a, a biblical feast or celebration God instituted feast and celebration, and part of that was to celebrate the harvest of what God had provided and giving the first fruits of that. And we talked about some of the feasts uh, in recent weeks, but celebrating what God had done at the beginning of the harvest and then celebrating at the end of harvest what he had done in providing for him. So we are to be thankful in this season, in all that you do, whether it's food, fun, and family, and football, all of that, make sure that you focus on Jesus Christ and what he has done. So with that in mind, how do I, I get into the book of Revelation and, and preach a message of thanksgiving? Well, let me set the scene for you. John the Revelator, as he is called, he is on the Isle of Patmos. Patmos is a prison island, not unlike Alcatraz uh, that we have out in the bay off of San Francisco. It was a, a, an island where people would sent to be punished, to be away from everyone, where they, they could look across from the island and they could see the shore and they could see where everybody else was, but they are now they're on this island in seclusion and for punishment. They had tried to kill John on numerous occasions. They had boiled him in oil. They had tried to do all kinds of things to kill him. And they were unable to do so, so they finally just sent him to the Isle of Patmos. And so he's there on this island, and the Bible says that he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day more than likely was the Sabbath, maybe probably the Jewish Sabbath. Maybe it was the new Sunday Sabbath as they celebrated the Lord's Day as the, the raising or the resurrection of Jesus Christ taking place on the first day uh, of the week. And, and so maybe that's what it was. And I, I would just tell you, it's always good to be in the spirit on the Lord's Day, to be in his presence and to seek after him. And that's what you're doing here on the Lord's Day. And so he's, he's in the spirit. He's on this island by himself and he has a vision. And God shows up to him and he, and he sees this vision. Revelation 1.8, this vision that he sees of Jesus says this, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and is to come, the Almighty. That Jesus shows up in this this unusual appearance 
And he says that he is the Almighty. And he says, I'm going to tell you some things that are going to take place in, in the future. And I want you to write them down so that people will know what is coming. That, of course, launches into all of the eschatology and the end time things that, that we, we have been talking about uh, during this COVID season and the political season that we're in. And this last Thursday on Foundation 201. But as it moves through these seven letters to the seven churches, and then, and then the writer, he, he records all of this that, that Jesus tells him and the angels tell him. And it comes a scene in heaven in Revelation 5 where there, there's a scroll that needs to be opened. And they're looking for somebody who is able to open the scroll. And there says, none is found worthy and none are able to open the scroll except for the Lamb. The Lamb being Jesus Christ. And it says, And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the Lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And everything created which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and under the sea and all things in them, I heard them say, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. That Jesus reveals himself as God Almighty, the one who is able to open the scroll and to open the seals and to begin the judgment because he was tortured and he was suffered and he died. And he says he is the only one that is able to open the seals. And so the seals begin to be poured out. And, and I won't get into the, the seven seals or the seven trumpets except to say this, that right before our text, the Bible tells us that there are two witnesses that appear on the scene. And this is in the, the middle of the tribulation period or that seven-year period that we is often referred to as the tribulation. And these, these two witnesses, they begin to do great miracles and great signs as God works through them. And the Antichrist sees this. And the Bible says that he makes war on the two witnesses and he kills them. They are laid out for all to see for three and a half days. And then at the end of three and a half days, God raises them back to life. And he begins to uh, send more destruction. And there's a great earthquake. And the Bible says 7,000 people in the city are killed as God institutes this earthquake. And then just before verse 17 the text says this, the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. He will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell to their faces and worshiped God saying, we give thanks to you, O Lord God, the almighty who are and who were because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. That in the midst of this heavenly scene where there is destruction going on and, and there is a lot of things going on in the world that is happening as God has been pouring out his wrath, the seventh trumpet sounds and at that point, the elders in heaven, the 24 elders around the throne say, worthy are you and they begin to give thanks to God. So I would tell you in this difficult season, in this time of pandemic where loved ones are lost or jobs are lost or we just don't know what's going on, chaos has seemed to reign. He is still on the throne. He is still worthy of praise. He is still worthy of thanksgiving today. Would you give the Lord a hand clap of praise?
So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw your attention to four different ways in which or reasons why we should give God praise or give God thanksgiving from this text. Just like the four and twenty elders, we are to give thanks to God. The first thing is this, is that we give thanks because God is almighty. That in their description of Jesus Christ, they say, unto you, O Lord God almighty. In naming and describing him, the elders proclaimed him to be the almighty. And I would tell you what that means is that he has all power and he has all authority. There is none who is greater than them. There is none who is mightier than him. Jesus is in a league of his own, as it were. That we have, there are a lot of spirits in the world. There's a lot of evil spirits. There's a lot of power in the world. But there is none that is equal to the power of Jesus Christ. There is none that is equal to the God of the universe. He is the Almighty. In our, in our world today, we talk about, and we've been talking about this probably for a few decades now, about superpowers in the world. And now the United States, is, is we, we claim to be the only superpower. And maybe that's true in this earthly realm, and maybe that's true in a nationalistic sense, but Jesus is the only real superpower. He is the only one that controls everything. He is the only one that is in charge of the universe. And, and no matter how great we might think we are as a nation, all he has to do is speak a word and we'll be reduced to nothing. He is the almighty God. And aren't you thankful that he is almighty? Secondly, we give thanks because he is eternal. Now you may say, well, okay, yeah, why would we thank God for that? Why, why should we be thankful? Well, the reason we should be thankful, and, what, and the, I get this from the text when they says, the one who is and the one who was. And what that's really doing is saying he is the one who has always been. He is the one who always will be. He is the eternal God. And the reason that's important, the reason we should give thanks is because if he is the one who is and who was, if he is the one who is eternal, that means he is the one that has controlled it all. He is the one who has brought everything we see into existence. In apologetics circles, and, and apologetics is not the, the art and science of apologizing, but it is the art and science of defending the Christian faith. It comes from the Greek word apologia. Look at your neighbor and say, apologia, that's your word for the day. And, and, and that means that we are defending the Christian faith. And part of that defense of the Christian faith is to defend Genesis chapter 1. That in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And, and one of the lines and, and one of the, the arguments when it comes to apologetics and, and defending creation is there has to be an uncaused cause. There has to be something that exists before anything else can exist. Now when you think about that, it will short-circuit your brain if you think too hard about it. But the reality is, is that something has to be in order for everything else to come to be. And that something that, had, that was no matter how you get to it, ultimately is going to come back to it is the God of the universe who always existed, who outside of space and time, who created space and time, and now they exist in Him, and that all matter and all energy and everything you see exists in Him. 
He is the uncaused cause. There is nothing that is uh, before him. There is nothing that is greater than him. And by definition, if he is the one who causes it all, that means he is greater than everything that is caused. He is the almighty God who is eternal. That also means that whatever he was, he still is today. That we go to the Lord in prayer every single service where we take our needs and our petitions to him. And, and, and I trust that you do that in your own prayer time. But the reason we can do that is because we have record that he is a healer. We have record that he is a provider. We have record that he is a deliverer. We have record that he is a savior. We have record that he is the one who will help you and be with you. And if he was that then, he still is that today. He is the same yesterday and forever. He does not change he is the immutable, eternal God of the universe. Why don't you give the Lord a hand? Because He is not a God who changes. Now specifically, in, in our text, the four and twenty elders, and I'm using King James language, the twenty-four elders, for those of you in 2020 North America, the twenty-four elders... They said, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was and has now taken your great power and begun to reign. Understand this, that God has always reigned. He has always been in charge of all things. So why do they say you have taken your great power and begun to reign? I will tell you it is this. Is his reign has not always been explicit. His reign has not always been out front where everybody can see. But in our text, he has now taken his great power and he is saying, I am now going to assert myself and I am seated on the throne and now everything that I have allowed to go on will now be subject unto me. And he sets up his eternal kingdom. He has allowed men to go their own way. Paul said this in Acts 17. He said, in the times of their ignorance, God winked at that. He winked at their sin and their lack of following after him. Paul is on Mars Hill, or the Areopagus is the, the more technical term. And Mars Hill means it's the hill of Mars, the god Mars who they are worshiping. Okay, That's where Mars Hill comes from. And Paul is, uh, is there at the Areopagus and he is arguing about with them and telling them that there is a God who is in charge of everything. He says, you are all superstitious. He says, you're so superstitious, you have an altar and an inscription to the unknown God. He says, you know that there's a God out there that's beyond anything you know. He said, but you don't know him, but you want to make sure that you stay on his good side. And so you have this inscription to the unknown God. And Paul says, let me declare who he is to you. And he begins to preach to them Jesus Christ. And he said, God in the times past has winked at their ignorance and winked or allowed people to go their own way. But he says, the time has come where now all people must repent. We are living in that time where people must repent or they are in trouble. But there is coming a day when God begins to rule over the earth explicitly and his reign is over everything and there is no other option. 
every knee will bow before him. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. The Bible says when he comes back, every eye will see him. Right now, he's behind the scenes a lot of the time. And he, he shows up in church and he shows up and he does the miraculous here and he does the miraculous there. And he lives in our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. But for the most part, the world goes their own way and they don't see him. They don't recognize him. They don't experience him. But the 24 elders says, we are giving thanks to you because you have taken your great power and you have begun to reign. There is a day when he is going to set up an everlasting kingdom. It is a never-ending kingdom. He will reign like, unlike any other. And I hesitate to use the word utopia, but as some would say, it is a return to Eden. And I, and I don't know that I fully agree with all of the, the theological implications of that, but I will tell you this, that, that when he reigns in his kingdom, we will never die. There will be no sin, no disease, no sickness, no death. There will be no trouble when he reigns in his kingdom. I'm looking forward to the day. And just like the 24 elders, I want to go ahead and thank him now because he is going to reign. He is going to set up his kingdom and his power, and I get to be a part of that. And you get to be a part of that. If you're thankful that you get to be a part of that, would you give the Lord praise? But not only will he reign then. This is not in the text that I read. But I think it's important. As we give thanks because he reigns now. The world doesn't see his reign. But he reigns now. Israel was looking for a visible and earthly kingdom. They were looking for a king or a Messiah to come in who would push out the Romans, who would defeat the Romans, and who would set up an earthly kingdom and sit in a big palace in Jerusalem. But Jesus, when he came, he didn't come like that. He came as a lowly, poor infant. But while he's walking the earth, he, he said this. He said, the kingdom is now and it's not yet. He said, the kingdom is with you. But it's also coming later. And I think that Jesus makes that distinction. We see, we see the not yet piece of that. That he's going to set up this eternal kingdom. That he's going to rule and reign over. And we get to be a part of that if we're in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. But he says the kingdom is also now. That the kingdom is here. The kingdom is present. So how is it that the kingdom is now? It is this way. Because anywhere the king reigns. That is his kingdom. That in any place that the king has authority, that's his kingdom. That any place that he is in charge, that is his kingdom. And while he technically reigns over everywhere, and it's that more implicit instead of explicit part of his kingdom right now, the place where he primarily reigns right now is in the hearts of men and women. That he reigns in your heart and he reigns in my heart when we set him up as king over our life. 
Is Jesus king of your life today? Is he king over your decisions? Is he king over what you, what you value and what you prioritize? Is he king over your family? That wherever he is king, that's where he's reigning. That wherever we allow him to be at work in our heart and to give him the opportunity to have authority in our lives, he is reigning. There is coming a day where everyone will bow, as I mentioned, but right now you and I are bowing and we are letting him reign in our heart and in our life. We give thanks in that day, but only if we make him Lord in this day. That when that day comes, if we have not made him king today, that day will not be a time of thanksgiving for you and I. That we will not be able to join with the 24 elders and say we give thanks because you have begun to reign. We're going to lament that he is reigning unless we let him be king in our lives today. And that's what he wants is he wants to be king in our life today. And we're able to give him thanks because he is reigning now. And if he is not Savior now, he will not be Savior then. So I would challenge you to make him Lord of your life. Make him the king of your life. And then when we do that, we're able to give him thanksgiving for all that he has done. And when he's king over our life, then he is involved in our life. And that the king is looking out for our best interest. The king is looking out to do what is best for us. That we can call upon his name and we can pray and we can, we can ask him to intervene. When he is king over our life. I realize that, that at least most of you that are here in person today, if not all of you, You've already made Jesus Christ king of your life. And for those of you who have done that, I just want to reiterate, it's not necessarily just a one-time event. That it is a daily bowing our knee to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's a daily saying, I want you to be king and ruler over my life today. That I want to do what you want me to do today. I want to be pleasing to you today. I want to work with you today. I want your presence and your power to go with me today. That it is a daily making him king of our life. And when we do that, it will create in us a thankfulness for what he does, for what he has done for what he will do. Let's stand together. The Bible describes to us that when we are thankful that Jesus goes the extra mile. Luke 17 tells us the story of the ten lepers the ten lepers they come to Jesus and they're asking to be healed and you have to understand 
that prior to Jesus coming on the scene, there's only one real example that I know of in the Bible of somebody being healed from leprosy, and it wasn't even a Jew. It was Naaman. In fact, Jesus pointed that out, and they didn't like that. But these ten lepers, they come to Jesus. There's only one story they know of, of a leper being healed. There's only one written testimony of a leper being healed. But they see what Jesus can do, and they see that he has raised the dead, and and they see that he has healed all manner of disease, and they come to him and they say, Lord, we want to be healed. And he says to them, he says, go and show yourself to the priest. Because the process was this, is that in order to be declared healed, you didn't go to the doctor. The doctors, they weren't hanging out shingles. You didn't go down to the local medical office. You went to the priest, and the priest had to check you out, and the priest had to see if you still had the leprous spots, and the the priest had to make sure that you were really healed. And there's a lot of things behind that, one of which is that unless the priest said you were healed, you couldn't go to the temple and worship. If you had a disease or you had some kind of problem, if you were losing, if you had lost a hand or any, any number of things, you couldn't go and, and worship God. And So these ten lepers, they go and they head to the priest. And the Bible says that on their way, they were healed. That before they got there, they, just, they took Jesus at his word and they, they walked and began to go to the priest. And on their way, they were healed. Seeing this, one of the ten, he sees that he's he's healed. He doesn't need the priest to tell him. The priest will have to vouch for it later, but he sees that his leprosy is gone. And he comes back to Jesus. And he gives him thanks. And Jesus, his response is this. He says, were there not ten who were cleansed? He says, where are the nine? The leper, the former leper, he doesn't explain. But it says this, Luke 17, 17 through 19. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? They've already been healed. They've been cleansed of their leprosy. He said, But the nine, where are they? Verse 18. Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? It was a Samaritan. He didn't even go to the temple to worship. He didn't follow all of the the traditions. He didn't follow all of the laws of, of the full Jews. He was a Samaritan. Jesus said, was no one found who returned to give glory except this one. But then here's, here's the, 
the point of all this. And Jesus said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. I thought, he was, I thought he was cleansed already. That's why he came back. He was. Literally what the text says in the Greek is, your faith has saved you. You are healed of this leprosy. You're a Samaritan. But because you came back to give thanks to God, he says your faith has saved you. That when we give thanks to God, He goes beyond what we can expect. When He does something for us and we rejoice and we thank Him, He says, oh, that's nothing. Let me show you what else I can do. But when we take it for granted and we just say, well, He should heal me. He should do this for me. He should do that for me. I'm not going to say God is stingy, but I am going to say He's a jealous God, as the Scripture says. And if you're not giving Him praise and thanksgiving for what He does... Why should you expect more of it? But when we thank Him, He goes beyond what He's already done and does great things in our life. Would you lift your hands to the Lord right now? Would you begin to thank Him? Would you begin to celebrate what He has done? Jesus, we love You. God, we thank You that You have done so many amazing things for us. Things that we don't even remember all the time. It's been too many things for us to even make a list. Lord, but we thank you for what you have done. We thank you because you have saved us, Lord, most of all. And we thank you because you have provided for us. We thank you that you have healed us in times past and that you will do it again. We thank you that you are our deliverer. We thank you, Lord, that in, in the time of trouble, you are a very present help. Come on, would you just put your own words to that? Would you thank the Lord together? Jesus, we love you. We love you. We magnify you, Jesus. We magnify you, Jesus. There's nobody like you, Lord. There's nobody like you, Jesus. There's nobody like you, Jesus. There's no one, Lord, that deserves glory and praise and thanksgiving but you. There's no one, Lord, that we can celebrate like we can celebrate you because of your great power, because of your great love. Because of the greatness of what you have done in us. Lord, we magnify and exalt you today. God, we give thanks to you. We give thanks to you today. Come on, would you just reach after the Lord for just a moment more? I feel the presence of God moving in, in our midst today. Jesus, we love you. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. By your name, Lord, we magnify you.